there's this saying, you've got to kill your teachers. And it doesn't mean chop their head off, it just means get rid of their influences. Their overpowering, dominating influences, which you love and you, you went to them for. It took me a long, long time to work through my own training. Because you don't want to be like anyone else anyway, do you? is Object, a podcast about design and contemporary craft in Australia. I'm your host, Lisa Carl from the Australian Design Centre. In this series, you'll learn all about ceramics. You'll hear about making handmade pottery on a large scale, how you teach ceramics. We'll talk to writers and photographers, and we'll go behind the scenes with curators and art dealers to hear about collecting. Jane Sawyer is the founding director of the Slow Clay Centre and is a ceramics teacher and artist. In this episode, you'll hear how Jane's apprenticeship in Japan set her on a path of learning. Get advice on teaching with clay. And hear a wish list for the future of ceramics education in Australia. What's on your list? Hi, Jane. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Very well. Can I start by asking you to describe where you are now? Yes, I'm in my home studio under my house and it's uh, a bright sunny day for a change in Melbourne and so I have plenty of light coming in. I've got a view of the garden but uh, I'm in a, the middle of a very messy studio. <laughs> and what can we see in the studio? In the studio you can see... Oh, work in progress. You can see plenty of buckets and containers. There's far too much plastic in my studio, which I'm very embarrassed about and must do something about. But plastic buckets of glazes and clay recycling and, of course, a radio because I can't live without a radio. <laughs> oh, and books, loads and loads of books. I have my library down here in my studio as well and a desk for drawing and sketching and things. Mm. We're going to talk primarily about teaching and learning ceramics, but first tell me about you, Jane. Mm. Do you prefer to be called a potter or a ceramic artist, a craftsperson or an artist? Oh, my goodness, you have started with the million-dollar question, which <laughs> I cannot even answer because mm. there's just too many categories and I really hate being categorized so I'm all of those things but not one <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> Jane when did your interest in clay begin was it very early in life uh, a passion or did it come later via another pathway? Uh, I had the normal school experiences I think I had a wonderful art teacher so I, I became very passionate about art and art history whilst I was still in high school and then I did a undergrad degree in art education so you could say it was at university that it really took hold of me but not as a career I didn't even know there was such a thing as becoming a potter I was just thinking I would become an art teacher in third year 
I met a potter who was to become my first real teacher in ceramics, Andrew Halford, and he offered me a traineeship in his studio once I finished my degree. And then it was sort of a natural conclusion when you finish your traineeship to, to try and set you up somewhere else. And I was so keen to go to Japan by that stage because, and well, Andrew's wife at the time was Japanese and she and Andrew almost were surrogate parents in a way. I would have dinner with them a few times a week. And so they introduced me to a studio in Japan. And so Jane, was it the experience in Japan that reinforced for you that you wanted to teach ceramics? No, at that stage, I didn't even want to teach at all. I think I was still so young and the main reason why I didn't go into art teaching after I finished my undergrad degree was because I, well, A, I fell in love with ceramics and wanted to give it a go full time. But B, I didn't have any life experience to speak of and I can't imagine teaching without some kind of life experience or some kind of I'm not talking about authority because that's not what I mean but more just a depth of understanding of who I am what my work is all about and how I can enable that in other people I got back to Australia quite a few years later and established a studio and then I really just needed some money to pay the rent because it Selling ceramics is not a very uh, easy thing to do. So I had some small classes in my Fitzroy studio in Melbourne just to start off. And then, you know, it wasn't really a big decision as such. It was more out of necessity. Mm. I think that a a lot of um, creative practitioners in all sorts of art forms find their way into teaching their skill that seems like a natural part of your professional practice in a way to pass on skills that you've learnt. Yes, but it, it came later in my case and not until I felt that I had some skills to pass on. Mm. Mm. And I was very, very shy. And it's almost hard to believe now that I was because people who meet me sort of often say that I, you know, I'm full of confidence. Somebody said to me recently when I was giving a talk the triennale that you know I sound so confident but I I had to learn all that and it is something that didn't it didn't come easily to me oh very interesting the Japanese experience did really inform and give me confidence because when I did finally come back to Australia all those years later I discovered that people were not actually aware of the Japanese techniques that I had been learning and they were very fundamental basic techniques in Japan and so that did give me a little bit of confidence to teach something different and something that I knew was really valuable. Uh, I still have that motivation. Mm, Absolutely. Can you take us through the techniques that you found were not being taught in Australia that you began to teach at that time? Yeah, sure. I think, and when I say fundamental, they really are fundamental. One of them is just how to wedge the clay or mix the clay in a very organic way. And in English, we call it spiral wedging. Um, In Japanese, momoji, which refers to the chrysanthemum flower. And it's a lovely organic way of moving and rocking into the clay 
in using your body in a very fluid way and when that's done well you can mix a large amount of clay without expending any more energy than you would if you were mixing a small amount of clay. All of the skills that I learned in Japan were they came from the trade of pottery from production throwing, production making by hand over hundreds and hundreds of years. Another fundamental one is throwing off a mound of clay. So say for example you're making a hundred pots instead of mixing up a hundred balls of clay you would mix up one big mound of clay and you you might make 10 or 20 little pots from that one mound and cut them off as you go. That technique is all about fluidity, about rhythm, about production skills without expending too much energy. It's about keeping your body upright, your back straight, your wrists aligned and there's nothing that's kind of breaking your energy too much when you're using those skills correctly. So even though I had been taught those skills at university, seeing them in use in Japan on a daily basis and the practice of doing it myself over a couple of years gave me that sense of rhythm and continuity and fluidity. What was the style of teaching in Japan? So I had actually had seven teachers in Japan. It was there were seven members, main members of the co-op and they were all in their 60s at the time. I was in my 20s and they were my teachers. And so, and I was one of seven apprentices as well. So they, they called the apprentices over, oh, look at this, look at this, that's amazing. And they had a pot upside down, a beautiful sort of, I don't know, about a 30 centimetre diameter shallow plate slash bowl you know shallow dish but they were looking at the underside of it not the top of it where it was decorated but the underside of it where it was still quite rough clay and I was dutifully looking at it as I was told to but I didn't quite know what I was looking for or why everybody was ooing and ahhing so much over this pot and over the underside of it the base of it um, until somebody just went, oh, look, it's just been made, it's just been trimmed in two moves, you know, one move on the inside and one on the outside and that's it. Can you see that freshness? It's alive, you know. It's so, it's amazing, amazing skills to be able to do that. And suddenly that that dish spoke volumes to me about what I was trying to do and it was obviously through that Japanese lens and uh, that's a very specific lens but it was very interesting to me that I was learning that in a production pottery where you're trying to get your movements reduced to the absolute minimum and the value of that and not just visually as an aesthetic but as a trade and what that that meant you know in terms of the skills of the maker because I had seven teachers in Japan and and I also had the Andrew Halford before I went to Japan I saw seven different touches seven different signatures in clay or eight if you include Andrew so 
even though nobody signed anything in the studio that I worked in, in Shisagama is the name of the studio in Japan, and it's still running today as a cooperative. You can tell just by looking at the finish, the fine details in the way somebody's finished a rim or trimmed a foot, that can give away, as a signature can give away, you know, intimate details and identity of the maker. So when I did a master's degree at RMIT, that's the kind of that was the kind of pathway into the master's degree that I did, and a way of trying to identify my own what was my own sense of touch. It also gave me a way of discussing that with students to say, look, you know, we are we're all as dif- different as each other, you know, and we're all the same in so many ways, but we're also, our slight differences are quite enriching and what can make um, our artworks different too. So I'm always talking to them about finding their own sense of touch and what that might be and that even though I might be teaching them something quite sort of technical you know like hold the tool like this and you know balance your hands but I'm also countering it with a little sentence but if it works for you do it you know like if it's your own way do it you know explore it go into it more deeply because that's what's going to be interesting to you and it's going to be your your point of difference Um, and I can think of a number of potters whose work I adore who all have a different identity through their sense just through their sense of touch alone clay is the ultimate reflector the mirror of who we are because even if it's just a fingerprint or a thumbprint it's telling us visibly back to us you know that's your thumbprint that's who you are and you can imagine if that's on a bigger scale you know with a bigger object then your artistic expression can be so intimately connected with your material, with the clay and with the processes that you use as well. Well, in my teaching, nurturing ceramic practice really starts with skills building. But I also think it's important for students to innovate and be experimental, not to be afraid. Julie Bartholomew is a national and international award-winning ceramic artist. Formerly head of ceramics at the ANU and the University of South Australia, Julie currently teaches at the Australian Catholic University. As a teacher, nurturing play is really important. And in ceramics practice, there are, there are lots of incredible broad spectrum of skills. And I think once students have developed skills they have a confidence in making and that allows them to play more and because the the process of ceramics is so material based and it's it's all about a body material interaction anything can happen and by looking out for those accidents and the unexpected and the unusual Um, results of playing can really lead to interesting directions, innovative directions and fresh work. I I also think that it's important for students to develop self-reflective thinking. And what I mean by that is 
be able to look at what they make objectively rather than being totally immersed in the practice where you can't really see what you're doing. And that can come from understanding their practice within the context of art history or ceramic history in particular and contemporary art practice. People that are new to ceramics going into the practice, what I would say to them is that because ceramics is just an incredibly collaborative practice, it connects with so many other disciplines, for instance, like architecture and design and landscaping and geology, chemistry and, you know, sculpture, installation, painting, photography, the list just goes on. So usually you'll find that ceramic has some connection to what you already know and have experienced. When I was doing a residency once, there was a scientist, a NASA rocket scientist, (laughs) who decided to give up her profession working for NASA in America and become a ceramic artist because she just loved the idea of looking at the earth from space. So the earth reminded her of clay and and ceramics practice. So that's incredible that ceramics can make a connection to a NASA scientist. (laughs) So I'm interested in your thoughts for people at the start of their career. What principles do you think are important for early career artists and students to keep in mind as they begin their practice? Everything's got to be driven by desire. You know, you have to love what you're you're doing because it's not an easy pathway. So to make to it's the same as if you were a musician or a um, an actor or you know a sports person. You have to devote a lot more time to this than you think you're going to. It's not easy mm-hmm. you have to be persistent you have to be very very um in love with it and just want to do nothing else um and then i think what's what was what really helps is to have an understanding of art history and particularly ceramics history where you fit in in the con- in the continuum um so how your contemporary experiences um can be fed into your art practice. And I'm talking about as an art practice because essentially that's the broader term that everything else fits under. Um, But whether or not you choose to be uh, a potter making hundreds of things or you're exhibiting as an artist, you know, or you're a designer, I think some really sound understanding of Ceramics history and contemporary art is really helpful. Learning to see is a big one, you know, and that's fundamental to any education that people take on, I would hope, is learning to see and to be curious and exploratory about what you're learning and to ask questions and be led by the materials and processes as much as the concepts and ideas. I've seen a lot of people give up and it's really sad to me that people give up too soon. They don't give it that time that it needs to really work through their... It took me a long, long time to work through 
my own training and to get rid of you know there's this saying you've got to kill your teachers and it doesn't mean chop their head off it just means get rid of their influences their overpowering dominating influences which you love and you you went to them for because you don't want to be like anyone else anyway do you I mean I, I would hate to think that I was sending students out into the world you know making my style I think that would be terrible Absolutely. It's that authenticity, isn't it? You know, finding, as, as you say, finding your own identity and that will then bring the authenticity into the work that you're producing. What's your advice for potters who want to teach? It's a really good question because, of course, my teaching training at, as an undergraduate art teaching training actually was a really good course and it did teach me a lot about learning and teaching and how we learn and how we can teach effectively learn about the different learning domains how you might be teaching somebody something but they might not be listening the nitty-gritty of education how do you how do you call a group's attention to you you know when you want to just tell them it's time to pack up you know (laughs) like um and you've got people going everywhere and doing everything you know how do you instruct them in a clear way where they're going to follow your instructions I always love it when people come to me for jobs and they've already done some teacher training themselves because then I know I don't have to worry I know they're going to do it (laughs) I suppose I just want to be natural and I want to be a person who they feel comfortable with I think it's important that people can talk to you about anything and quite often art brings out all sorts of deeper things you know that may be bubbling below the surface and if you're providing a safe framework for your students to be able to discuss things with you if they need to so just to be natural and open and caring you really want to be able to care about their development and their progress because small steps you know are often big steps for them and so to be able to be on their side and you know really encouraging them with their development I think is really important it's just as important. Tell me about the Slow Clay Centre. Slow Clay is a a ceramics education centre. We're based in Collingwood in Melbourne and I started it 10 years ago. Jane, I'm interested in how centres like Slow Clay Centre, your centre that you've just described, how that fits within um, the broader educational framework for learning ceramics? Um, I'm not 100% sure it does. I, I feel like we're kind of a little bit of an island on our own. Before I started Slow Clay, We had a wonderful network of TAFE colleges and universities that specialised in ceramics, both here in Melbourne and throughout Australia. Um, And I used to actively feed students into that system from my classes at home. But when I started Slow Clay Centre, it seemed like it coincided with a lot of those places closing, a lot of those institutions closing their ceramics courses, um, which was just devastating. So it's actually really hard to feed students to anywhere other than the major universities, so RMIT, 
National Art School in Sydney and the ANU in Canberra. It has actually made us more aware that we have to teach at a high level as well if we can. So there are a lot of schools that have opened up since the popularity of ceramics has mushroomed um, in the last few years. There are a lot of people popping up that are teaching ceramics in their studios and perhaps at a hobby level without being derogatory. But we really do want to provide at that higher level as well as we can. So by doing studio subjects such as the history of ceramics and foc focusing on things that are particular to this field and, yeah, that sets us apart a little bit. Yeah, I think the, the terrain is very different today um, from what it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago and certainly there are far less opportunities to study uh, ceramics at a professional level. So I suppose, um, you know, what you're doing through your centre and other centres like it around the country is in, to some extent bridging that gap, um, but certainly not, as you say, um, you're not equipped or funded to provide, um, you know, professional degree level training to students or diploma level training to students. Um, so uh, I think it's a challenge for us going forward. It is. It's a huge challenge. And um, my good friend Janet Deboos has, she almost uh, had a second sense and predicted this, I don't know, it would have been about 15, 20 years ago. She wrote a wonderful article or a kind of sad article in many ways um, called The Distributed Studio where she made a case for, with institutions closing, that the ways that young people would train in the future would have to be more varied. They would have to choose their specialities according to who they would, you know, learn from and how they would find those people would have to be much more independent and, and individuated. Mm. We've got the degree, diploma level, fine art courses, some very good degree and diploma courses still available around the country. What does the future of education in ceramics look like to you? I'd like to see more studio-based training. When you have a trainee in your studio helping you, they're doing jobs for you and they're learning in return and it's a wonderful win-win, but it does need funding. I would love to see some TAFE courses come back in. I don't know whether it's too late to ever get back what you've lost, but... Um, you know, we'd love to have one or two TAFE courses in, in Melbourne at least. And I'm speaking very, um, very locally here because I know there are other cities that still do have TAFE courses. I'd love to see some international exchanges. I see the future for ceramics education in Australia as being multi-layered. Um, there are so many different approaches, but having some international exchanges would be great having some stronger institutionalized learning would be fantastic and having some opportunities to work with people in their own studios that were funded and also a postgraduate system a healthy postgraduate system because that can also really help one to articulate their ideas and concepts and define their pathway much better Thank you so much, Jane. It's um, been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much. That was ceramic artist and teacher, Jane Sawyer. I was surprised to learn that Jane has had eight teachers over the course of her career, 
It made me reflect on how teachers emerge at different times and in different places, and potters often learn from each other too. I found it interesting how Jane uses her experience as a student to inform her teaching practice. She encourages students to make their own mark on the clay, to ensure their work is unique to them and their ideas. And how learning from makers in other cultures, in Jane's case, Japan, enriches the experience for the maker. To see images of Jane teaching and her work, go to our website, australiandesigncentre.com slash podcast. In the next episode of Object, you'll meet ceramics writer Robin Phelan. I love that sense of, you know, embodying the work, embodying the work in space and experiencing the work as is presented either by a curator or by an artist in a space. And I think in, in a show, the opening lines is, what do you see? What do you feel? That hook, something that breaks down the distance between the reader and the writer. I went here, I saw this, I felt this, I observed this with my eyes. Object is a podcast of the Australian Design Centre. We'd like to thank Visions of Australia, the federal government's regional exhibition touring program for funding support towards this podcast. Object is produced by Jane Curtis in collaboration with Lisa Carl and Alex Fiveash. Sound engineering is by John Jacobs. Thanks for listening.